Well, greetings, everyone. This is another um, Sermon Talk Plus Plus. Tonight I have with me Donna Boss. Hello. And DJ Bressel. Hello. And Becky Watson. She is uh, participating in the music team tonight, so it's just the three of us. And tonight we are discussing the next set of parables from Matthew 13, the one about the hidden treasure and the pearl. And so let me read those a few verses. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So those are, that's the uh, passage, those two parables are sort of a couplet similar to the mustard seed and the yeast. I think they tell the same story, the same main point. And um, in that point appears to be something about treasure, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we look at the parables we've seen so far, the first one was the sower and the seed, the four kinds of soil. And then there was the two kinds of uh, seeds planted in the field, right? The wheat and the weeds. And then there was the example of the mustard seed and the yeast. So that's one, two, three, four. And now we're on five and six. And um, for the first time, I sort of think that we could almost say that there's something for us to do, that the parable implies there's something for us to do. But then the more I look at it, I'm not so sure there is. Again, Jesus keeps in my mind, keeps describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. Not, it's not instructions for us, it's information for us. So let me start with that question. Do you think that this, uh, these, this couplet is a call to action on our part, or is it just telling us the way it is? What would, how would you uh, respond to that question? I don't think it's a requirement. I think it's just informing us of the response of these people, the merchant and the man that found the hidden treasure, how they responded and what they were willing to do mm -hmm. to get it. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like, for me at least, it's like a necessary consequence um, for someone who understands the kingdom of heaven who sees its value and the result the consequence of that is this is his uh, moved his push to sell everything i i see what you're saying and i i do think that it is a description of a person's response right that a person sees the kingdom of heaven or sees this treasure, the kingdom of heaven is like it when a person sees a treasure and sells everything to get it. So it is descriptive, but it feels also that um, I'm closer to being able to say, therefore I should do something as a, as a person, as a hearer of this parable. And in my mind, that action would be some sort of... Um, what should I do to make the kingdom of heaven a treasure to mm -hmm. me? In other words, is, 
is my relationship to the value of this treasure under some of my influence? You know, I, obviously it's always by grace, right? So God gives us the grace to see the beauty of the cross and salvation. And so is our viewing it as a treasure worth selling everything for, is that... Um, just a yes, no, and if we did, we did, or we didn't? Or is there some aspect of our own thinking or response that influences our view of the treasure? What I'm trying to ask is, is it okay to, in this sermon, say, if the kingdom of heaven is not a treasure to you, then you ought to, you know, yeah. and fill in the blanks with what the things we would do. So it, is that... Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying, and you're right. I remember, um, like C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Way to Glory, said something. It goes like this, like a child who never saw a resort, I'm paraphrasing, right? a resort or something, enjoying the puddle, because he'd never understand the glory of something yes it's almost that way to me yeah he's playing in the puddle and he doesn't understand that there's an ocean beach that's sure. way cooler and he and he doesn't realize what he's not getting yeah uh -huh. and i've heard that illustration about like ducks or geese mm. that are again swimming around in this little mud puddle when over there there's this beautiful lake right that they could be in a huge expansive lake and they're in this little mud puddle because they have no idea what the lake Offers. So, is what it, what makes the difference for a person? Why would why would the the guy who collects pearls? Why would he see it as a greater treasure than other people who didn't see the pearl? I, I'm, I, is there a distinct? Is there what are the differences? Is the kingdom of heaven only for people who see it as the greatest treasure ever? And if so, what is it that they see that other people do not? You know, is there something? He must have known about pearls. And whatever, or whatever that treasure was that was hidden in the field, when this person saw it, he had to have recognized, like, oh, that's really valuable. Like if we were to just get a bunch of change and find some valuable coin in the midst of that or yeah unless you know coins or stamp collecting or whatever you can't recognize the the great one unless you know about the field of collections on that yeah is that what you're saying okay. yeah yeah how does uh there's things i'm sure that each one of us that we would we could describe as one of the things we really like a lot like suppose i like um I like miniatures for, I like to make model airplanes and I have, I have this, to me they're treasures, there's some, there's a lot of things going on. My wife couldn't care less, mm -hmm. there's no, she has no interest whatsoever in that. She likes me, but she doesn't, so what, what makes a person, what are the prerequisites, if any? for a person who sees that the kingdom of heaven actually is a treasure that you'd be willing to sell everything for. What, what has to, what's a precondition for that kind of view? 
One might be knowledge of things. If you collected certain things, um, and all of the collectible things, there are some that are worth more than others. When they were collecting the Beanie Babies, when they were collecting the Precious Moments, some of those sold for way more than others. So there's some kind of a knowledge of, of their value. Sometimes I think there's some kind of personal connection. Some of the stuff we found at my mom and brother's house that was my dad's, old fingerprinting, instruction manual and the ink and 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 cards and stuff that's but it's worthless really because mm -hmm. they don't even use paper but it could ink. be a treasure to but you but it was a treasure to me because yeah. it was my dad's yeah and there were so some other I've things heard, that were his yes yeah, so, so far i'm making a list two things would one would be knowledge about the material in the first place right you, the the fact that you knew or would know that a particular beanie baby was super valuable just by knowing the market for Beanie Babies and how, uh, the rareness of it and you know how good a condition, right? So that's knowledge about the treasure itself. But the second one was that there could be a sentimental connection to the treasure that for you, it reminds you of your first love or of your parent or of a, you know, a great trip or something, right? People collect um, I know my neighbor used to collect rocks from their vacations and they, you know, so for them, it, this rock was the one we got in Maine and this one was we got in Oregon. And so, you know, they would collect those. So there's a sentimental attachment. Are there other kinds of attachments to the treasure or? I would like to add experience maybe. Okay. I think that, like I was reading an article recently she was an atheist for a very long time and recently she said she's convinced that Christianity Christianity is true and she gave a lot of reasons without any mention of Christ. It almost made me feel like she's now becoming a sympathizer mm. and it's very historical, very well researched but no reason about salvation, forgiveness. I, I wouldn't be surprised if later on she would go against Christianity and right. say, I'm not convinced anymore. But I think for people who really truly experience forgiveness, comfort, peace, comfort in times of maybe losing someone, peace in times of facing death, yeah, so I feel like those are the kind of people who truly treasure um, Christianity, I think. So the the experiences of life if you if you really really know what it's like to be thirsty then you really treasure that refreshing glass of water more than a person who has never been thirsty right i think there's a component to that and and so when you see what the kingdom of heaven offers forgiveness of sin a purpose for life right uh, a sense of peace with God, unless you really struggled with those things, you might not regard that that is very special. Mm -hmm. And I, <clears throat> in some ways, my own conversion was at such a young age that I didn't realize how great the gift was because I didn't have the capacity through my experiences to yeah. recognize mm -hmm. how awesome it would be. Mm -hmm. But a person who is in the gutter at the edge of life, mm -hmm. seriously considering taking their life, feeling full 
hopelessness, for them to discover hope is a really big deal. And so I almost wonder if you have to, if one of the prerequisites for really seeing the treasure is understanding how big a trouble we're in, you know, that experience right. that you're talking about. Um, does that make sense, Don? Are you thinking yeah. that? <clears throat> for another word, maybe understand our level of need. Yeah, mm-hmm. aware of how how much we need the treasure. Because when I, I remember when I made a decision to accept the Lord, I was I was young. I was like seven, seven maybe six, and the teacher clearly talked about what what the destiny would be if you know if you believed in Jesus you'd go to heaven and the whole thing with the streets of gold and and no more pain and dying and then the other option was to go to hell Mm -hmm. and that sounded like a terrible option and so it was obvious to me that I didn't want that so the other you know the accepting Christ seemed to be it's just a no-brainer you want to go to heaven and you want to be saved and you want God you want to live with God forever as a child, that was how I evaluated life. And I guess the gospel could still be reduced to those two options. You can accept Christ and all he did for us, or you can reject him and pay for it yourself, to which there's no return once you're dead. So, so for a child like you and I, um, the fear of hell and the goodness of living forever is a way to describe the treasure and it was a way to make it valuable to us enough to perceive it as good news it was desirable but in retrospect it was a pretty anemic (laughs) view of the treasure in my own life I, I didn't own anything to sell to get it anyway but I'm not sure that I really did understand that it was worth all. Mm-hmm. And I think by grace, God saves us anyway. And as I've grown, I've learned that it is worth all. And so I've come to regard it as the greatest treasure. But to me, it seems like it's taken a lot of years of experience to get to that point. I think sadly, that's what church and the gospel and evangelism was like when we were kids especially for children yeah when i went to college and started studying theology i was like horrified at at how much there was and and how and amazed at salvation itself and started to wonder did i even know what i was doing when i was a child because i didn't understand any of this yeah but god does deal with us for our level of understanding and people who are adults and have limited cognitive ability can still accept the Lord yeah. and still be truly saved mm-hmm. without all the deep knowledge. I think in recent years, maybe we're doing a better job of teaching the idea that it is a treasure. A couple years ago, we studied this passage uh, in a Bible study that I was going to, and one of the things to one of the things that we did is when the students came and sat down, we went around the room and had them tell what was their favorite possession and everybody shared their thing and then at the end of the lesson like jesus should be our greatest treasure and if he's not why not what is our are we valuing other things more than jesus to and i think i did it with the kids down here too the fourth fifth and sixth graders 
they're old enough to understand that some things are more valuable than others. And it, is Jesus your greatest treasure? Or is there some other thing that you have that you love more? To at least get them to look at the fact that we need to make priorities and that Jesus should be yeah. our greatest treasure. We don't have to wait for adulthood to hear that. Mm -hmm. it, it would be erroneous to imply that a person who has a greater perspective of the value of Jesus is therefore more likely or more qualified to receive the kingdom, right? That mm -hmm. would make it a work of some sorts. And, and so I would agree that <clears throat> even though as a little child I didn't understand the magnitude of the treasure or nor did I understand how much I would eventually need to be willing to give up for it that didn't it isn't what made me saved probably any more than me choosing whether I was good soil or shallow soil right that that's right. A, that's a so if that's the case is Jesus telling us more about the life of the believer as opposed to the beginning of our life? In other words, is this parable describing what happens to us as we grow? We discover the treasure that we've had, have been given, and we sell all to get it. Is, the, is it that ultimately we do, or is it that we did at the first? You see, you see what I'm saying? My question, is this a description of our sanctification process or the description of our salvation experience what would our what would mitigate one against the other in the mm -hmm. text do you think does it when a man found it he hid it again mm -hmm. why was that why does he say that there's a delay and, and then he goes and sells all and comes back or even the pearl merchant he found it so then he went away and sold it and came back and bought it so I don't want to read too much into it but is Jesus saying that there's a discovery that happens that leads to the process of selling all you know I was just remembering we did this with youth group too I think before DJ came and one of the things that we brought out there was that the, the treasure in the field, the man found it. I don't think he was looking for it. He just finds it. Okay. And sometimes we just find Christ. And I think he hid, the, hid it again in the field because he wanted it. He didn't have the cash to go buy the field right now. And he didn't right have now. the rights to the he field. He didn't have the rights to take the thing out. Right without owning the field so he hides the treasure yeah. sells everything he has and comes back he hid it because he didn't want other people to find it before he could get back there I think yeah. so he discovers this treasure with and and realizes wow that's a really valuable thing he hides it to preserve it for himself goes and sells the stuff buys the field comes back and claims what now is his whereas the other guy that was the merchant he obviously knew pearls. And he was looking He for, was a pearl merchant. And, and he, he was, was looking, looking for fine pearls. He was looking for the really good ones. Yes. Because I think you can find a lot of pearls that are... So it's less accidental for him. It was less accidental. Sense, it was right? more yeah. intentional. That he was specifically looking for... But it is, I suppose you could argue, it is still sort of serendipitous that he found one that was super valuable. Right? I mean, 
True. Yeah, but he was looking. Because yeah. I wonder how many he found that were mediocre. Right. And would be like little necklace pearls right. rather than a nice pearl ring. Right. And um, so, but again, he sees one and he sees that it has great value. And I don't know what happened to the pearl while he was going and selling everything. It doesn't really say. But both of the men sold everything they had because they recognized something of tremendous value. One was looking, one really wasn't looking, and they both found these treasures. So I guess I think about it that we can come to God looking for a solution, looking for an answer, looking for some kind of help because we know we're in a mess, or we can just one day meet somebody that tells us about Christ and, and we see it and we accept. Mm -hmm. I think there's more than one ways to end up with the treasure. Do you think that it is a salvation experience or later in our spiritual walk? I'm more inclined to say it's salvation experience, but I want to be careful to say that that there's a process before salvation, right? Can yes, can be. Um, you know, we used to sing in our church, growing up, "Come as you are," and I think of Isaiah when it says, "Spurgeon's." salvation experience right look to christ and be saved and look at the serpent and be saved so maybe i would be very careful and your your personal salvation experience was that you had a very clear sense of, of relief from guilt and a yes. real resting and uh -huh. so for you the experience of the treasure was rather contemporaneous at the same time as your decision. Mm -hmm. But okay. mine was not like that. I, I was relieved that I had done the right thing, but I didn't see Jesus as my greatest treasure for mm -hmm. many years. I think part of what the passage is doing is saying there's more than one way to get to a point to choose this treasure. In salvation, in evangelism, there. God works different ways, again, in people's minds and hearts. And sometimes they hear the gospel one time and they, like all the Billy Graham crusades and stuff, I don't know how many of those people had ever actually been in a church, but they're there, they hear the message, and the Spirit of God moves, and they're running down the aisles. Other people can sit in church for years. When we had a pastor here, Bill Odemolin, there were altar calls and there were people coming down for salvation who had been in the church for years and I'm not sure what happened why it took so long but all of a sudden one day they they okay I, I want to do this and so some people I think take a little more time thinking about it and thinking about it procrastinating and then come to a point where they just do it others I don't think wait and maybe the younger children wait less because they're worried about the consequences of, of dying and not going to be with God. Somehow that seems more real to them. Do you think that regardless of whether it starts at the beginning or later, that it would be a characteristic of every true believer that they would eventually or would manifest this sense of treasure that they'd be, is this the expected outcome of a maturing believer that they would come to the point in their life where they would be 
Jesus gets it all, it doesn't matter. I would think that would be an expectation that's reasonable. Yeah, because yeah. in Job's life, for example, he was very devout and religious and honored God, and God even commended him as one who feared God and shunned evil. But his suffering experience shifted his focus quite a bit, so mm -hmm. that at the end of Job, he was able to say, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you, and you're enough. I don't need all the blessings. And that was the whole question, right? Satan raised the question, does he love God for the stuff, or does he love God for God? And it turns out that he loved God for God. But Job wasn't so sure necessarily either, right? I mean, God revealed that. Same with Abraham, right? You take your, your son, your one and only son, and offer him on the mountain. God knew it was a test. But Abraham didn't know it was a test. But afterwards, Abraham knew. You know, the voice said, now I know that you fear me more than loving your son. You're willing to give him up. And so it was a, it was a manifestation of Abraham having given his greatest treasure and demonstrate that. So Abraham knew it was true from then on too. But Abraham was already committed as one who had faith, right? So there was... He was a he was a believer who had never been asked to pay it all yet, mm -hmm. and so maybe this parable is this was a way of saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. If you're a believer, there you will be willing to sell it all. It doesn't have to be a sell it all moment or experience to be saved, but believers come to a place where God is all. And enough. Is that a, you know what I'm trying to say? Is I think that that's fair? fair. And I think it's easy to get distracted as a believer and to oh, get for sure. and to get drawn away by all the stuff that is around and our, us. Our, 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 I would have to admit, it's just like you're saying, that my passion for him as my treasure waxes and wanes. Well, we live in an affluent society. Yeah, I, so it looks like we can take care of ourselves. And I if need, you want yeah. something, you just save up yeah. money and you go get it. But there are times in a believer's lives where, regardless of how much money they have, they can't fix everything, or something happens like Job and you lose it all. Yeah, and, and you see that the only thing you have left is the greatest thing you ever have. Yeah. That and that's when you see and recognize that God is your treasure, yeah. and worth more than anything you lost or sold. Yeah, does that make sense? To but you I don't know that everybody. I don't know that everybody gets there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just remembered a song we used to sing in Bible college. Uh, one of the lyrics says, one of the lines says, you know, lay your Isaac down. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's drawing back from the story. Abraham, his greatest treasure probably was Isaac. And er every one of us has their own Isaac. Right. Yeah. And it might not always be money. Right. Maybe, you know, familial relationship, whatever. Maybe whatever. a person. Or yeah, but job health, or health or a job. Or, mm -hmm. But there is, I, I, I feel like I hear many believers share that when they thought they lost it all, that's when they realize that they already had, that Jesus was enough. And there's a surrender mm -hmm. component to it that they, they realize, you know. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that moment, that reality is described by this, these parables. 
Because mm-hmm. a person is willing to lose everything else for that treasure. Mm-hmm. Maybe not literally selling it. Right, but, but in so their heart of hearts, they are renou- willing. The exchange is fair. They're not holding back. They're, they do not feel ripped Relinquish off. it, I guess. Is they the feel word. like they've won. Right, I mean, that's the thing. The guy who bought the pro, the guy who bought the field, they, they feel better off mm-hmm. after they sold all because they got what they really wanted. And I think that that realization that the kingdom of heaven is what I really, really want more than anything else is a pretty amazing characteristic of a believer. So if the kingdom of heaven is like that, then it isn't just fire insurance. It isn't just getting to live in heaven. It's There's something about the relationship with Jesus that's worth it all. So the kingdom of heaven isn't um, isn't good. It's greatest. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not just good. It's great. It's the greatest. It can't be a second passion. And I don't think it's bad to for us as believers to evaluate every once I, in a while. I agree. Am I am I getting distracted? Am I getting too interested and too excited? about X and instead of like doing Bible study or you know just kind of like bring us back to pay attention to what is really our greatest treasure have yeah. I let other things be in first place or not mm-hmm. so so easy to do without really noticing yeah so if my line of reasoning still holds that the parable is not necessarily telling us about the moment of salvation or it could be but it, or Not a moment in sanctification, it, but it in general is describing this relationship between us and mm-hmm. the kingdom that is described by it being the treasure that's worth it all. If that's the case, which I think we've made a pretty good case for that it could at least mean that, then is there something that I can help my fellow believer? Is there something I can do to help myself see the treasure? as the treasure it is. In other words, if I don't feel that way, is there some remedy? Is there some course of action? How can I help my brother and sister see the kingdom as that treasure? Maybe like we did with the youth group, is ask them, think about your greatest treasure. Okay, what so the first one is evaluate what, what are you your, treasuring right now? Your most right valuable now? Yeah. thing or possession, or what, what's the most important thing to you right now? Yeah. And if we would come to the conclusion that my car was the most important thing to me, and I, if I would come to the conclusion that I don't, and I'm not willing to give that to Jesus, then that would be a bad sign, right? I, that means it's too high of a treasure. So one of the first steps would be to ask ourselves what the treasure that I already have is. That's a good, what, what other things could we think about to help us? What treasures am I trying to get? What am I seeking? Yeah. To get or to achieve. What's my goals? Because a lot goals. of us are, you know, trying to get somewhere. So what gets me up in the morning? Why am I trying to do this? You know, is it to finish the project? Is it to get a promotion? Is it yeah. to see the grandkids? Is it, you know, whatever my goals are? Yeah, that's and strong. how does it affect if you don't get that certain thing that you've worked so hard for yeah. or you want it? Am I devastated if I lose it? Yeah. These are all marks of idols, really, right? Yes, we're yeah. just not calling them that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what? But so 
what if, okay, I want to have Jesus be my greatest treasure, and I don't want to hold on to my car or my job, but I just don't see him as that great of a treasure. I just don't see it as that big of a deal. What's wrong with my thinking when I say that? What, what's the answer to my misunderstanding? In other words, when I, at the very beginning, when I said, I really like miniatures, and you don't get it, or Tammy doesn't get it, what's wrong with her thinking? What would she have to start thinking? What would she have to learn? What would she have to do to see what a cool treasure it is? What do we need to see and know about the gospel in order for it to be our treasure? Where, why, why don't I see it as the treasure it is? I think one way is to think about eternity. Okay. To think that whatever it is right now, they don't last forever. Okay, so the temporalness of right. this life and the value of eternity, that's a... And, and even some, for some people, we treasure our life more than anything. Yeah. And even that, our life here on this earth, is temporary. Yeah. So that's a big distortion, right? If, if I think that this 70-year trip on this planet is so valuable, and I trade that forever and ever, Jesus would say, "What does, you've got it wrong. What value is there to trade your soul and go to hell, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the love for the world is too high. My love for this, like, I need to get a bigger picture of eternity. And that's a big one. What else would be, what would Paul say are things we could do to? I think, too, that sometimes it's not really emotions always. I've learned that in my own life. And it helped one time a professor said that in Hebrew, the way they think of love is not emotions as we do today, but choice. So when the Bible said, love not the world, it's really a choice, not basically an emotion to this, you know, to love. feelings. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's a conscious choice that I'm not going to love the world, the things of this world. I'm going to love Jesus. Yeah, so saddle up our will and make some decisions, right? be transformed in our thinking. I think we need to look more look at at the word more, look, study it more, look at the characteristics or, or attributes of God mm-hmm. to see who he really is. And knowing God more and more. Knowing that, God that's more super and more. Important. Looking at how he took care of all these different people in the Bible, provided for them, protected for them. Just the story, the Bible narrative itself right. is so beautiful. Uh-huh. The more you look at it, the more beautiful it looks. And the more you realize that God is just way beyond us figuring out how he orchestrated all these look seemingly random things. So yeah, the ma- so the more we meditate on the majesty and transcendence and the, the word of God and him as himself and his self-existent power and yeah. So those so the treasure gets bigger when we think about him being bigger. Mm-hmm. But if we think of him as a servant or as a, you know, a rider on an insurance policy or some help if I'm in a disaster, right, or the guy that you call to just before your car gets in an accident, you know, that that's sort of a low view of who we're really, in, who really is the kingdom, whose kingdom it really is, yeah. 
What other things could we do to amplify our sense of the treasure of the kingdom or to teach ourselves? For me personally, it has been meditating and learning about the beauty of Jesus himself, him as a man, to, to meditate on the Gospels, to see who he is as a person, to recognize how difficult it was for him to come to earth and then how difficult it was for him to live perfectly how much burden he carried, and then the, for him to intentionally um, be rejected of the Father. You know, that whole garden, the Garden of Gethsemane experienced that. The more I think about that, the more I realize how great his love is mm -hmm. and his, um, his willingness to, to die for me as a representative hero, not just as a... Um, spiritual leader but as a person intentionally going into the battle so I wouldn't have to and he would win for me to get me to save me I mean it's it's so much more um, personally cosmic than it is just cosmically cosmic you know what I'm trying to say he he did it for the reward of getting his people um, Tim Keller says that why did he do it? There was nothing he needed that he didn't already have. He already had perfect relationship with the Father. He already owned the universe. He already had fame and glory and power. What was the one thing that he that made it worth it for him to die on the cross? And the one thing was to save his people. We were the only things, we are the only ones that are any different for him. If he hadn't, he wouldn't have us. Hmm. And so the fact that he did was for us only, ultimately. I, th I think you could argue, well, he also did it to redeem all of creation. Yeah, but we're the most prominent part mm -hmm. of that whole creation, right? We're this people. We're his bride. The rest is just uh, adornments. And so... So somehow for me to, what has helped me make Jesus my greatest treasure is to realize how much he has treasured me. And it seems reciprocally both natural and worthy of response mm -hmm. to love him back um, in the face of his great love for us. Does that follow? Sometimes I think speaking it to other people when you take a passage and you're going to teach it or preach it or share it with a group something about your study and then you say it out loud seems to reinforce and you can actually I don't even know how to say this in words you experience God and his goodness while you're preparing and while you're speaking out what you prepared, mm -hmm. it somehow seems to amplify the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes I feel like you get more of a blessing out of teaching something than the people that are, that are listen, just listening. But there's something about saying it. And it could be just sharing, like in the spiritual formation groups, 
something about saying the things out loud to yourself or to someone else it, it just helps hmm. and that's a pretty weak word I can't think of no, I think you're right, right. It, it, um, there is a great blessing of being a, a, uh, just of speaking the truth when we hear ourselves say it it's, yeah. it's somehow a fuller process yeah. it's not just what I've read it's not just what I heard in a podcast or somewhere but you take it in and you put it back out that process mm -hmm. ingrains it more in your head it makes mm -hmm. it more real mm -hmm. every time you share the, the same thing any other thoughts about this passage or any other yeah, I, I think too that it would be helpful and I think it's biblical for the church to you know testify of God's goodness to each other mm -hmm. to admonish one another yeah and yeah part of what makes Jesus my treasure is when I see someone else do it and demonstrate it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. for Doug and Sue for example to be going through a deep time of testing right now their faith demonstrates to me they love Jesus more than anything else mm -hmm. and that encourages me too also so yeah the example yeah. of other believers and sharing that yeah I think that because um, you know I've been thinking a lot about missions recently and you know, thinking about my future and I have a friend who's extremely smart and has a lot of opportunities to study something else and he told me if he can he's probably 40 years old now if he could live over again he wouldn't live it in a different way because he couldn't live his life any other way because he sees Christ as valuable and the people these people needs it so that was encouraging to me yeah things like that to see someone missions work is valuable enough and it, it's also interesting that when Jesus is our treasure we are able to more kindly view other human beings because he loves them mm -hmm. too and so we treat them with more respect than we might otherwise yeah well that's good so I, I, I appreciate you helping me think it through and I am surprised a little bit I didn't know that we were going I hadn't thought in advance that we would try to distinguish is this salvation or or a general posture but I think it seems to make the most sense that this is a description of a believer's relationship with God. It's not time-oriented. It's characteristic there's, of a believer that they regard him as the greatest treasure. There's a term that's used <clears throat> often in court settings, um, including but not limited to. Yes, mm. yeah. And so I think that fits here. It includes the salvation experience. Yes. But I don't think it's limited to right. it. Because we, sh you know, if you have a treasure that you're, as, I had this little box as a kid of treasures. And whenever there was a tornado warning, I took the box downstairs. Huh. Once I got in high school, that stuff was not really, oh. That valuable. Not really that valuable anymore. So I think there is a process. There's a. There's a, the salvation and seeing Christ as the treasure at the moment of salvation. But then, especially because we're so easily 
taken off course by stuff mm -hmm. or people or activities, I think it's good to keep coming back in the process of re reiterating, reminding ourselves that he is our greatest treasure. It's worth it, yeah. Like you keep reminding yourself of other things you got to do, or right. you know, we have reminders all the time. We need to remind ourselves that he is the treasure, so that we'll keep our priorities in line with that. Yeah, I. I it also reminds me that perhaps this is a way to describe the difference between the seed that fell on shallow ground and the seed that fell on good soil, because. The parable said that the they received it at once with joy. They thought it was great news, but when a little bit of persecution came or trouble came, they quickly fell away. The point is, is that they received it with joy. They thought it was worth it, but it turned out to not be worth it to them. But a seed that falls on good soil, by contrast, apparently bears the sun bears the persecution and, it, and they bear fruit. And so, so again, I think it's that, it's not just how happy you were the first day. Be, because that's a slice. It's like the, uh, the MRI or some of those are a slice yes. picture of the brain or whatever uh -huh. they're looking at. So the, the seed that fell on was the rocky soil. It comes up, so if you took a picture at that moment, it looks wonderful. Right. If you wait a few days, the plant's dead. And I think, that these pictures are a slice, a photograph of the guy and, and the, each of the men and getting their treasure and selling everything and having it. But hopefully that's not all it was. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's only one picture from one day. Yeah. And our salvation experience should be like that, but that shouldn't be the only highlight mm -hmm. of our Christian life. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, let me close in prayer for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for um, working in my life to help me see the treasure that Jesus is. Help me to do so more and more. And um, I pray for our church this Sunday that that uh, somehow this preparation and this word will encourage them in the same way and that if anyone is still faltering between whether or not Jesus deserves our all, that um, they would make that decision and, and seal their commitment to Jesus and, and um, perhaps that would even be their salvation experience. But either way, that it is Jesus does deserve us holding him as our highest treasure. And so it's in his name that we can pray with confidence. Amen.